0: Uh, welcome to Social Arsonist, a podcast for organizers old and new. This is our officially our first episode. The, first ep- the other episode was just our prologue, so this is episode one. Uh, I'm Anisha.
1: And I'm Alex. Uh,
0: and today's episode, the goal of today's episode is to officially define what organizing is. Uh, this is the perfect episode for folks who are just starting out. For our friends who are already working organizers, this is the episode you send to your family and your friends who don't actually understand what you do. Like, what does it mean to be an organizer? Um, personally, when I tell people, like, I just went on a date and I told them that I was an organizer, and for a good, like, five minutes of the conversation, uh, they thought that I was, like,
1: uh, rearranging... That you organize closets?
0: Yes, yeah, <laughs> rearranging books and stuff in offices, and I was like, oh cool, we're totally not on the same page right now. Um, so Alex, do you have any good organizing, first, first-time organizing stories of what people thought you were doing?
1: Well, my, my big thing is what the whole world, like the internet thinks you're doing. So if you ever Google like organizing tips and stuff like that, it's about 50% of the time you get, again, organizing closets, um, home organizer, uh, you know, websites for folks who will come and help you, uh, you know clean out the the house that you've let kind of um, turn into a, a hoarding thing, right? You get the hoarding TV show. So definitely I'm, I'm pretty, you know, it, it's always a little bit of explanation when I'm telling people that I do organizing or organizing work, or at least when I tell people that are outside of who don't already do the work, you know?
0: Yeah, actually a good example would be when we were trying to figure out what to name our podcast and we were trying to figure out what other po- podcasts there are on organizing. And actually all of the podcasts we found – we're just that, like Pinterest tips on how to organize your stuff. So
1: These Rubbermaids are the best for <laughs> shoes, you know, stuff like that. <laughs>
0: um, so we're going to jump right in and introduce our first guest ever. If I had a little button that had like a cheering sound, this is where I would put it in. Um, so Alex, why don't you take it from here?
1: Yeah, okay. So uh, our first guest, and I hope I don't totally mispronounce your last name, Kate, but it's Kate Bartholomew uh she has been a trainer at the midwest academy which is a, a school for organizing a pretty well known institution for a lot of those who do have done organizing work as a career um, she's been a trainer there for six years before working for midwest academy she worked for planned parenthood of illinois for 10 years um ending that as a statewide field director uh, organizing on issue-based campaigns and political campaigns so she's got a, a real depth of experience um the reason that anisha and I wanted Kate to be on the first episode so badly is because we met Kate uh, attending Midwest Academies Organizing for Social Change. Uh, and this was an opportunity for Anisha and I to really actually receive some professional development. Um, for me, at least, it was the first time I'd received structured, like actual, you know, professional development, not just learn as you go or, you know, informal mentorship. Um, and Kate, you know, has that experience teaching organizing. So we thought she'd be the perfect guest to help us explain what organizing is and why it's important. Um, Kate, did I miss anything?
2: No, I think that was, that was great. You got it. And you got my last name, right?
1: Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm always terrified that I'm going to screw up the last name. So uh, I guess we want to jump in. Kate, when people ask you what you do or what you teach, what do you say? How do you explain it to them?
2: Yeah, it's such, I'm so excited about this episode. I'm totally gonna to send it to my family too, who I think all these years later is maybe still a little bit confused. Um, so <laughs> this will this will be great. So what I say when I say what I do is I say train community organizers, um, and then I often get kind of the blank stare that you all talked about, and you know people ask about closets and rubbermaids and that sort of thing. Um, so I further go on to say that I help. Uh, people and organizations figure out how to build the power they need to win on the solutions that they want to see in their communities.
0: Oh. That's like a really great way of describing that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, yes, yeah, I when I was a, a kid, my I had you know like good feminist parents, and my dad would always say, "You can be anything you want to be, uh, except a lawyer or a cheerleader." And so I like to tease him now that I managed to find, like, the one job that's actually the combination of, of those two things. Um, <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> as far as my family goes, that's Aww. that's what they understand.
1: <laughs> awesome.
0: That's so cool. So, like, was that your inspiration? Like, what got you into organizing? Yeah, I think it took me a while to figure out, like,
2: that organizing was a thing you could do. Um, so I got into organizing professionally right around um, the time I graduated from college which was in 2000 uh, which was when George Bush became president Um, and so I had you know like in in high school and college I'd had some kind of successful brushes with an advocacy approach where I would see something that was wrong and I'd get mad and I'd write a strongly worded letter uh, and then some small policy would get changed and so I think Up until that time in my head that was sort of how social change happened was that people would get mad they'd write a letter and then things would all all get better (laughs) and then George Bush came into office and his very first day in office he did a number of things that were really terrible for women's health and it was sort of my first real reality check of it's not going to be enough for (laughs) us to write letters we're gonna have to really build a significant amount of power and so that was when I started working or Planned Parenthood to think about how do we bring together all these people who are angry about these policy changes to to really make a a big change in our country
1: that's so interesting I feel like a lot of folks first brush with organizing is in higher ed or in you know when they they're going to college for the first time or, or whatever um that I don't know. I don't. Anisha, do you have a similar? Because I definitely—that's definitely like my first brush with what organizing was and building power was beyond the sort of write a letter to your congressman or congresswoman and be mad or write a letter to the editor. Was definitely was definitely in school.
0: Yeah, I I actually didn't. I I did my small form of organizing in college, where I was like, I just really wanted a class, and they were cutting our program, and we like marched into. The Dean's office, and like that was my first form of organizing, but it's not until very recently that I've really started to understand um, what it is on a larger scale. Yeah, so I guess college was the time where I, the seed was sowed. Is that the right term? Yeah, yeah. Or planted. Planted. Yeah. yeah. Planted? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the seed was planted, um, but it, it, it was much year It was like a um, many years later that I actually fully started to really understand the power that could come from having good organizing.
1: So that kind of brings me to asking, Kate, like, why do you think, I mean, it's interesting to me that you came into kind of organizing right around when Bush was elected, because I feel like, I mean, to a lesser extent, but still very strongly, um, it's similar scenario to what we faced just recently. but can you tell us a little bit about why organizing is so important or, or what you see? I mean, you've you're committed the last six years to training organizers. So I imagine you find the work of organizers important. Can you tell us a little bit about why? Or,
2: Yeah, I, I think you're right that I'm feeling some similarities between when I first started organizing and the current moment that we're in. Um, and so I think it, it's important because we have to remember that no victories are permanent. And so we can't ever stop building power and building community groups and building strong organizations that both can get us to the, the things that we want to win, but also protect the victories that we've we've already won. Um, and I look at so many of the groups that I work with now and they're having to go back and sort of refight some of the things they had thought before. And so I think part of my commitment to training organizers or to working with organizers is to think about not just how do we win this, Particular thing right now, but how do we build lasting power that can hopefully protect protect our good victories and move us on to additional victories in the future?
1: Wow, no victories are permanent. Has me just like that is so uh, such a real, I think, concept that folks don't grasp. You know, we've been watching. I think to, to bring it to current affairs, we've been watching this fight over the ACA. Uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act, and and that this zombie attempt to repeal the act keeps coming back no matter what we do, and that it's beaten back every time by people doing the hard work and organizations and organizers pushing folks to pressure, you know, the members of Congress and the Senate, particularly who we can pressure. And that is such a good encapsulation, I think, of no victories are permanent. Dang, you just have, yeah. that hit me in the gut.
0: I feel like, uh, do we need to change the name of our show? Uh, that feels like really pertinent. But last time you pushed back, because my other, it might sound a little negative. So <laughs> yeah. we're gonna stick with social <laughs> arts in this, but that is a good, maybe another good byline for the show.
1: Maybe an episode title or something. <laughs> you know, Kate just titled the episode for us? I'm so sorry. I love your no. title, I think it's great. <laughs>
0: Um, so I have a question, uh, you know, organizers ask the question, like, why does this matter? Um, like what, what we're doing, why does it matter besides, you know, pushing back? Like why do these small fights matter? Do you have any like recommendations or how do we get through this like difficult time, especially when everything we do seems so important?
2: Yeah. So Anisha, help me. Help me with the question just a little bit. Can so, I
1: jump in? Yeah. So I think, Anisha, are you getting at the sense of kind of like almost like hopelessness sometimes? Yeah. Like yes, you, like, exactly. You know? That's yeah. Yeah.
0: like every fight. Like right now, women's healthcare and the environment, and like everything feels like it's a lot. How do we navigate the things that you know are important to us? Yeah, it's it definitely has the potential to be exhausting,
2: right? To to fight each small thing a little bit at a time. Um, I think. The, th- the thing that keeps me hopeful is that organizing isn't just about winning a victory now and again it's really also about building an organization or a community group in such a way that you're building lasting power so if we're if we're doing it right when we're thinking about how do we win this small thing like how do we win a, a vote in a committee or how do we defeat a bad bill we should be thinking about it in terms of how do we do it in such a way that, that builds our organization so the victory isn't just about a, a policy change or an issue victory, but also about did we build our leadership and did we recruit some new members and did we engage some new donors maybe in our organization so that at the end of the day, it's not just a small thing that we've won, but we've, we've won the thing that's important and we've also built our organization in a way that is then ready to move on to the
0: next thing. I think that's so important. I really like the way you framed that too. I. I think too often we get um, tied up in this idea of a victory, which I think we're going to cover later on, and for like you know another episode. But it is you're right. You're absolutely right that it's so important to build this base with our community and with our organization.
1: I, I really want to touch on kind of what you said there, Kate, and maybe we can push to expand on it a little bit. Uh, especially right now, when it feels like we're just going to lose so often, because let's be honest, like some of the the current political climate, depending on what state you live in, but definitely at the federal level, um, has left us, you know, with people who don't feel subject to the same pressures we were able to apply in the Obama administration, right? We were able to build power and and push back on stuff like Keystone and on attempts to roll back women's, women's healthcare access and it felt like we had targets that were malleable almost, or like subject to pressure. And I certainly feel like currently, no, like no matter what we do, we're taking some losses, like no matter how organized and, and excellent our organizations are or our personal work is, um, which, you know, to be honest, like we're never perfect anyways. So no matter, but even if we were perfect, it feels like in the current political climate, we're still gonna lose so often. And it sounds to me kind of like what you're saying is that even, even when we lose, we can win. If if our loss built power, if our loss built capacity, and if our loss, like got people engaged.
2: Yeah, I think so. And I think part of the trick of it is that as organizers, when we bring people along with us, we have to let them feel the loss and, and the anger of things. But we also have to help them feel the victory of, of building and coming together. And I think that's the challenging thing of a moment like, like this. Um, so I think back to the organizing we were doing right after um, Bush came into office and so much of it was defense and the, the victories were really just, we stopped a bad thing from happening. Um, and so part of it I think is learning to, to claim those things as victories as well so that it doesn't feel like we, we never win anything. Um, so it's the, how do we how do we see the defense as a victory and then how do we see the building as a victory with an eye towards how do we get back the power that we need in in the long term.
1: I yeah okay that makes more sense and you should do something to add to that because I just that that's that's something that feels particularly pertinent to me right now as you know as coming from a labor background we're facing a Supreme Court that's going to dramatically change how unions work no matter what we do like no matter how perfect our organizing is. So, and I'm sure a lot of, I mean, you're in a science organization, so I'm sure with the current EPA head and the, you know, you feel the same way anything.
0: Oh yeah, totally. (laughs) Especially like my focus is on regulatory, regulatory things and, you know, working at a place called Union of Concerned Scientists, the number one thing I get asked is like, you guys must be really concerned right now. And it's like, yes, we are. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, so actually I think it's really, interesting to see the parallels, uh, Kate, with you, you know, getting the, like, the social arsonist with you, the fire burning um, when the Bush administration came in, because I think that's like the same time, for me, we met you right after the election of Trump, and I feel like, for me, that this is the moment that I feel that um, I'm learning to be an organizer, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm learning to play defense with you know, we got so comfortable with things uh, winning, and now I'm learning to play defense so we don't lose all of the things we've won. Uh, Alex, you want to take on the next question?
1: Yeah, I guess unless Kate has something to say about that first.
0: Uh, no, go ahead, Alex. Go ahead, Alex.
1: Okay. Um, so, I so I think we actually already touched on this a little bit, but I just wanted to maybe get us synced, like what is the when your family at Thanksgiving you know asks you um how do you what do you do and how do you how do you define organizing for the lay person or for someone who's new to the new to this struggle or new to the the work
2: so how do i'm so sorry Alex how do i define it for my family
1: Yeah, yeah or how do you define it for just anybody i'm trying to think like a common thing for me is that i end up having to explain to my family what i do right And i try and come up with some sort of succinct definition of organizing um, but I don't always succeed. So I'm kind of curious if you, after after 16 years of doing it. Um, <laughs> do
2: I have a better answer? If yeah. You,
1: uh, yeah. Do you have a better answer? Help me out here.
2: <laughs> I'm not sure I totally do. So I'm also, you know, I'm also looking for some ideas on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, the, the clunky definition that we use when, when we train folks is that community organizing is the process of bringing together people who are impacted by an issue to, build the power to win improvements and build their organizations um, which is, is long and there's a lot to unpack in, in that statement. Um, and so for my family I think I talk about it more just in terms of I try to help progressive organizations figure out how to win the things they want to win for the long for the long haul.
1: Okay so you, you, you almost focus on it of being it's more than just one little fight or one issue. It's it's all the it's it's what does the what does the future look like? That makes sense. Okay. Nice. Thank you, I get
0: a lot of I get a lot of questions on like, okay, but what does that look like? What does that mean? Um, and I try to break it down with like, oh, you know, like signing this petition or delivering the things to this representative's office. Like, do you have, could you give us a few examples of what this would look like? Um, so people that are, have never organized before know that you know these things just don't happen. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> behind orchestrating some of yeah. this.
2: I think that's such a good point, Anisha, that so many people I think look at, at organizing and they just, they see the tactics. So they see like, we made phone calls or we did a, a petition or we went to visit an office. Um, And organizing is really so much more than that. It's thinking about what's the the power analysis behind all of those tactics, and how do those tactics sustain us for the long haul. Um, And so I think when I try to think about examples, I try to give folks examples of campaigns that have been more than just a single tactic, but a sustained effort over time, so that we start to see beyond just the individual actions that
0: we're taking. It's actually a great way of um, describing it. So, for our friends who are listening and and who have no like this is your first time hearing what organizing actually is. Um, I think a good way. And Kate, correct me if you're wrong, but if I'm if I'm wrong, that you, you're wrong, <laughs> no, I'm wrong. Very I'm wrong right wrong. on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot of the things that you hear, like the march that you attended or the letter you signed, are just pieces of a larger puzzle um, that somebody behind the scenes or a few people behind the scenes are kind of putting together to have like a larger impact would that be a good way of explaining that yeah
2: I think so and I think part of part of organizing is thinking about who are the the people behind the curtain Um, so being able to think about is there an organized group or an organization behind this who's been driving this for a longer period of time and who's going to still be working on it after
0: this march is over Totally, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, Alex, do you want to add anything, or do you want me to jump into the next?
1: Go the ahead. Next I in. I'm actually like listening right
0: now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so we talked a little bit about like how you got involved during the um, when Bush came into the presidency. But was that your first time you realized you were organizing? Like, what was your first? I like asking this question because I didn't realize I was organizing until much later when I applied for a job to be an organizer, and they (laughs) asked me this question. And I was like, I've never done this before, and then I had to really unpack the things I've done in the past. So, what was the first moment that you realized you were an organizer?
2: Yeah, so I think like some of my really early moments were again sort of more around the like, I got mad, and I either on my own or with like one or two other people. Um, you know wrote an angry letter or made some angry phone calls Um, but I think the, the first time I really grappled with the idea of like power and what it means as an organizer to really Not just have your voice heard, but to build sustained power Um, was probably around the 2004 women march on Washington Uh, and leading up to it, my job had been to get six buses of people to DC And I had been really kind of focused on the logistics and like let's get People on the buses and make sure we don't leave people and get them all get them all there safely um, and then some consideration of like after the March what what will we do so people will feel inspired and then do we have a plan afterwards to get them engaged and I can just remember getting off the we got our six buses there which was great and then getting off the buses and realizing we were just a really small part of having a million people on the mall and all of the people on our buses realizing that they were part of something so much bigger. Um, and so I think that was my sort of first real moment of like, we, we do this work to make our own communities better, but also to connect on a much bigger scale and to, to build really big and sustained amounts of power. You can't
0: really hear me, but I'm snapping. In <laughs> <laughs> the snapping in, uh, what is the word? I don't, I'm losing words right now. In support in support of that um, statement. Yes, we are in something much bigger than us. And I think that feeling of, I think that's the reason why the Women's March was so successful and the Climate March is so successful because you come in as a smaller group and you realize like, whoa, holy shit, this is a lot of people who are into like, supporting and here for a very large cause. Well,
1: I definitely wanna double double down on that too. Like one of the best things about Midwest Academy, but also about any time I've been in a room full of other organizers has been recognizing like, or, or in the room full of other people who've been organized is recognizing that you are one small piece of like a much larger puzzle, or you are one small slice of a much larger pie and like getting out of like, so you all just took the example from like kind of the volunteer side of things, right? Or from the, from the, like the person who was organized side of things, but coming from an organizer's perspective. I know for me, I get stuck very easily in my little tiny box, right? Like I am working on labor issues for school employees in Los Angeles County at some specific districts, right? And it's nice to, to have a moment, you know, it's nice to have these moments when you're with a big group of people, whether it be other organizers or whether it be a big group of volunteers or something and recognize like, wow, I'm like part of a a grander movement for for social justice or for a more equitable future or for, you know what I mean? Like, like I don't know. I, I think that's what, the Women March certainly did that for a lot of people, I think. And for me, like going to Midwest Academy did stuff like that, right? Or becoming friends with Anisha did stuff like that. Um, you know, I don't know. That's just one of my experiences.
2: Yeah, and I think like we, you asked the question earlier Anisha around how do we sustain ourselves in moments that feel hard and where we're taking sustained losses. And I think, that's probably a good reflection for that too, that we, we get energy and we feel empowered when even in hard moments, when we come together and think about how do our issues connect with other people who are also in the struggle and, and how do we think about how we connect to, to build bigger than we are right now.
1: I, so I want to, we, in your last answer, you actually used the word power. And I think we've used power quite a few times uh, in this, in this interview so far. And I don't know about you all, but like before, like, power sometimes for me has had a negative connotation, right? Like I've, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a cultural thing or, or just a whatever human being thing, but like the word power isn't always seen positively. Um, and so I'm curious, like in, in the context of an organizer or in the context of organizing, uh, how do we define power? And what are we talking about when we say the word power in this conversation, for example?
2: Yeah, I don't think you're alone in that. I think power is a, a word that makes lots of people feel all kinds of ways. Um, and I think it's it's also a word that gets used to mean a lot of different things. And so I, th- I think when we're organizing, we're thinking about like people's individual power. like How do we make people feel like their, their voices can be heard and they can have a real impact in their communities? Um, and then I think there's also the question of how do we build organizational or structural power? Uh, and so organizers are are always thinking about how do we build a a group of people who are able to convince a decision maker to do a particular thing. Um, So if we're thinking about trying to pass a piece of legislation, for example, and we know we're up against some opposition, and the opposition has power because they give a lot of money to the elected official, then our job as organizers is to think really concretely about how do we build the people power that can go up against and win against this organized money power um so when we're thinking about it in terms of of policy change it's a really sort of specific definition around our ability to get decision makers to say yes to our
1: demands okay that's yeah because i think that's for me that was certainly one of the i don't know going to midwest academy uh reading some alinsky once for a class stuff like that it's the first exposure i had to power in this concept and it was definitely a little bit of a shocker because power has had that that underlying negative connotation for me uh so we also mentioned the women's march uh, anisha you especially had some like interesting observations here and like the idea that anyone can be like can anyone be an organizer can everyone be an organizer i guess i wanna and, and the women like specifically around. Kind of this like growing consciousness we've seen, and I guess do you have any? I you, you have any? I want to start that discussion. Can everyone be an organizer? That concept that everyone is an organizer, um, but I think you had like a lot more direct experience seeing the Women's March in D.C. and the Climate March and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, uh, to give some context, um, so the Women's March was uh, incredible and amazing, and right after the first call to action was to write a postcard to your representative Um, and those of us who have been organizing or have gone through midwest academy training know that postcards don't always have like they don't have a great you know like they don't make change happen Um, and so i got with a group of friends and we're like hey we should uh we should get together and like, yeah, write postcards, but, you know, call our representatives to get, you know, together and have the support system. And then um, fr- it was supposed to be like eight people were supposed to get together at a friend's house. And then it slowly turned into like 50 people. And we're like, okay, maybe we need to go to a bigger space. We'll go to a coffee shop. And then that turned into a Facebook event. And then at one point there was over 8,000 people interested in just coming and writing postcards, and then we realized the value of, oh, a lot of these people, it's like a low lift, and so people are, have been motivated and moved by the march and still want to be part of a cause. So, I mean, this was to the organi- like the organizing efforts of my friends and colleagues, and uh, they, it was basically we turned it into a bait and switch, which was like, hey, come <laughs> write a postcard. And when they came, we're like, it's great that you're doing this, but it would actually be more effective if you made a phone call. Here's a list of all your representatives and senators. Um, But I think that at that moment, I realized the power of like, man, this is just eight friends who most of us aren't very experienced organizers. And we made something so small as like getting together and doing something into a much bigger thing. Um, And so uh, that's kind of where I, I had the questions of like, what, does it take to be an organizer, and can anyone be one? Um, and I would love to hear your thoughts on that, Kate.
2: Yeah. It, first of all, Neja, that's an amazing story. Well, well, well done on that <laughs> tactic. I love it. <laughs> um, <I'm snapping>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need one of those little snappy sound effects for your podcast. <laughs> yeah,
1: we're working on that. That's the next step. Definitely getting some sound effects. We need a sound effects board. <laughs>
2: um, no, I think that's exactly uh, right. No, that. Anyone really can be an organizer because the definition of organizing is bringing together a community to fight for the change we want to see. Um, and I think so often when people come through the training, what we hear them say is, I, "This all this training just confirmed for me that what I have been doing all along is is organizing." Um, and so I think for folks who are out there trying to figure out how to make change, it's important to to trust your instincts and to realize that you you know a lot about your community and what it takes to move them, um, and that it really is just a matter of recruiting people to to join you for some sort of sustained effort to to build power for your community.
1: You know, it's it's really interesting because I, I feel like I hadn't thought of the concept that everyone everyone as an organizer or anyone can be an organizer, and then I I kind of watched this whole like distributed organizing model where the Sanders campaign with very few paid staff was able to run phone banks and, and canvases and all sorts of stuff by just trusting un, like, unpaid volunteers that they would, if they were passionate enough, like do the work. And then we saw that after the Women's March in Anisha's example, right, that some people just took on, like even beyond your eight friends, to get to, a, to an audience of 8,000 or even a few hundred, it's, your eight friends didn't ask all 8,000 of those people They asked 50 people, and those 50 people decided to not only come to the event, but then to ask five more people each, right, or something.
0: Oh, yeah, and it was totally organic, and I want to give credit where credit's due. Um, The friend of mine who organized this mainly was this woman, Mary, and then we linked up with this place called Potter's House, which is if you're in D.C. or if you're visiting D.C., it's an awesome progressive bookstore. And they linked us up with like their buddy who's like, hey, yeah, you guys can totally use this space. This guy does a lot of events here. You should talk to him. And they both basically made this happen. And when it when it went from like overnight from like 50 people interested to over 8000 people interested. Um, They linked us up with, we ended up, Mary ended up linking up with a a local library and a church and they offered their spaces to us so there were, and then we basically in the Facebook invite reached out and said hey if there's anybody willing to volunteer we'll train you and so we trained them on their spiel on like writing a postcard is great you should call here the list that you should use and we set up people at each location so when people came to the bookstore over 500 people came and we were basically directing them to the right places and volunteers were willing and taking time out of their day to help with this. And it was a total organic movement. And I think with like, um, the, I guess the best compliment we got that night was this woman came up to me and asked if she can join our organization, if she can sign up for a <laughs> and we're like, uh, we don't, like this is just a group of friends who thought this would be a great idea and she's like well if you ladies do anything like this again like you need to make a list serve so this other random volunteer was like hey i'm on it and she made a google form (laughs) and made it happen so i think that this is a perfect moment of uh people really coming together and it was totally organic and you know
1: so how do we harness i guess one of the things i i want to ask and kate this is how do we there has been more energy around progressive organizing and and this sort of work, I think, recently than there was in the past. Right, like it was easy, like for a lack of better words, right? It was easy to be asleep during the Obama administration. Like uh, <laughs> things didn't feel as urgent. I mean, those of us who've been doing this work, I feel like, and this is actually brings up another great point, which is like kind of the snobbishness of those of us who some, you know, it's a weakness. I think sometimes we can be a little bit perturbed because we've been doing this as, you know, we, I'm, we're getting paid to do this. And we feel like the urgency has always been there, but people just show up now. Um, so I guess, I don't know. I don't want to split this into two points right off the bat, but I'll, so I'll stick to one. But um, how do we capture that sort of energy um, is my first question, like, how do we make those sorts of organic moments and that sort of like people are more activated than usual. How do we capture that? Um, and then, and, and, and direct it towards something, you know, organically direct it towards something useful and that builds power for our movements. And then the second question would be, what's your experience with professional organizers needing to kind of take that step back and recognize, hey, there are folks who do this for free, and as volunteers, and who just stood up one day, and, and they don't even maybe know the terminology of organizing, right? But they're like, I'm just gonna ask 10 of my friends to do this with me, and that is organizing. We've, we've kind of decided on this podcast today that organizing is really, that, that's all it takes, right? You are an organizer if you did that. Um, and how do we check ourselves, I guess, uh, and make sure that we're leaving open space for folks to do that sort of work without becoming like overly professionalized.
0: Yeah, encouraging too. I
2: exactly, noticed. Yeah. You know. yeah. Yeah. I think those are those are great questions in this moment particularly. Um, so we'll start with the first one, which is how do we take how do we build on this moment to build sustained organizations and and groups of folks. Um, and Anisha, I think your story actually has all the components of this answer um, that we need to take the urgency of the moment and and bring people into our organizations. Um, to, to do a thing that feels very manageable in that moment. And then once they're there, we think about how do we develop their leadership and their understanding of power, right? So they came in to write a postcard. It felt like a, a thing they could do and it made sense in the moment. And it brought them together with other people so that they saw that other people were also engaged in this. And then you all took the opportunity to say, actually, what would make more of a difference to decision makers is a phone call. So in there, there was some kind of a learning moment around what it takes to to have and to, to build power and to demonstrate it to the people who make the decisions. And then you thought a little bit more about, like, what are people's leadership roles and how do we move people up some kind of ladder of engagement? So people came to write a postcard. And then some people left with the assignment to, to make a listserv. <laughs> and so I think that's such a beautiful example of how you know in our organizations we have to be thinking about all of these components anytime we plan a tactic. So how does this tactic help people with their analysis of power and moving decision makers? And how does this tactic build and develop our leadership so that they'll come back the next time? Um, so I think that was the, the first question, right Alex? And then your second question was around yeah. um, professional organizers
1: the, yeah well I feel like sometimes we close people out of work that they might be willing to do because we're like we're the professionals right I'm being paid to do this and so either we're reluctant to give up some of the work that that would develop leadership right we're we're, we're nervous about handing it off to someone who is a volunteer or a member you know in the union context they're a member in the Planned Parenthood or campaign or or local nonprofit context, they're a volunteer, right? We're, we're reluctant to hand off that work, and I think that sometimes inhibits us. And then, I guess the example I would use around um, the it was around the when Trump was getting sworn in as president, we saw um, there were two main protests, right? There were the Friday, kind of the more the more intense, like the folks with lots of organizing experience, and kind of the. I don't want to say like radicals because I think that's, too mis- that's often too misconstrued, but I mean, I guess that would be a word. Like, those folks did the January 20th, like Friday protests, right? During a working day. There, there was, you know, some turnout, but it wasn't huge. It, I mean, it was intense and big and it, and, it, and it rejected the administration right off the bat. But it, then you saw on Saturday, the next day, there were these massive um, protests. And I, I saw, at least online in my social circles, some tension between those two, right? Like people, some people who are professionals, right, who worked in organizing for so long, there was some tension between them who were like, well, we need you to show up on Friday, and then just average folks who showed up in the hundreds of thousands on Saturday. And I guess, how do we resolve that tension? How do we make sure that we're guiding the work still as, as organizers, but that we're also giving space to people who are stepping up and taking, you know, in some ways, right, taking the lead? you know, or, or, or doing good work, even if it's not the work that we would have preferred, I mm-hmm. guess, that they do. That's a great
2: question. Um, so I think part of it is that sometimes as organizers we get in, in sort of a rut or we get comfortable where we just involve our members in tactics. And so we turn them out to marches or to phone banks or to canvases but we forget to involve them in the strategy, which is the discussion of why does this particular tactic make sense, and do we all agree on the theory of why this will get us where we want to go. And so I think it's important for organizers to remember that, that their job isn't to sit alone at their desk and come up with the strategy or the plan, but to bring together the people who are going to participate in the, the tactic or the, the broader organization or the movement to really have those conversations around strategy. So ha- how do we think we can win? what do we think it would take, and are we willing to do those things together? Um, and so our job as organizers is to help facilitate those conversations and to help our members develop a system of analysis on why we pick which tactics and when. Um, and then I think also to the example of the tactics around the inauguration, I think there will always be organizations who look at at the situation or the moment and they differ on their their strategy or their theory of change. Um, and I think that's actually okay. That if we look at movements in the past, there have often been groups doing different types of tactics and different approaches, and that they can often work together in ways that we don't immediately see.
1: That's, wow, that's, okay, yeah, That's that's. I think that's a great answer. I also think, you know, the thing I, I noticed, and I had one friend who made a particularly pertinent observation, and I shared it with Anisha, actually, but that I think sometimes we have to have the humility as that we don't own the work, right? We're None of us, and that, and that was definitely something, a lesson that I've been trying to teach myself over and over and over again every day. Um, Anisha, I think, do you
0: know I'll, yeah, I actually want to add a little bit um, to that. I think that also, as much as I encourage people to be, you know, self-organizers, I think there is this moment, especially now that people have been moved to do something, but to also keep in mind that there are smaller local organizations that are probably their, their ideals line up with you and sometimes it's these smaller organizations would thrive and you would make a bigger sound when you join one of these organizations and offer your time instead of starting trying to like reinvent the wheel so i would encourage our listeners if you've been moved and you want to do something just check out or send us shoot us an email um, which we'll give you later on but you know if there's something We we would love for you to connect with people around you who are maybe already doing the work that you're interested in doing, especially some that need volunteers and members. Um, So I just wanted to make sure that I plugged that.
1: Definitely. And so I guess, uh, Kate, we want to thank you so much for being, I think that that kind of is a wrap, I think, right Anisha?
0: Yeah, that was, uh, I couldn't ask for more. This is an amazing first (laughs) guest, Kate. Thank you all so much. This has been such
2: a fun conversation.
0: (laughs)
1: Yeah. So we want to thank Kate for for coming on. Um, we want to make sure we ask listeners. You know, so folks out there, we... wait
0: before Alex, oh. Kate, do you have any questions for oh, yeah. us? Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, well, I've, so first of all, I just
2: I love your podcast idea, and I I, I think podcast. it's amazing. Um, so I'm curious to hear what are some like some of the future questions you feel like you have coming up.
0: Ooh, this is a good segue into what we're going to be doing. Um, oh yes so do you why do alex why don't you take this okay um
1: so we're interested in a couple things uh one of the follow-ups we want to do next is a case study on a specific topic um i would love to talk to some folks who organize around healthcare to defeat the aca repeals because i think i think part of this podcast is both like professional development and teaching people about organizing and and helping organizers find resources to be better organizers. But I think the other part of it is recognizing the hard behind the scenes work that happens, right? Like all of the news focuses on three senators voting no on, the, on, on an ACA repeal, right? But that like, like no one, no one really talks about all the hard work of organizers and volunteers and members that went into pushing that no vote, right? And so I think we really want to recognize those folks work. So we're looking at uh, case studies around health care, and, uh, one that's close to my heart, Senate bill 50, I believe it's 54 in California that recently passed, which made California a, a pretty powerful sanctuary state, um, and required a lot of hard organizing as it was very dramatically opposed by the sheriffs, the local, uh, the, the county sheriff's association or the statewide sheriff's association here in uh, California. And then the other thing we're going to be doing, and, and you gave me, it's so funny that I was taking so many notes and I'm sure Anisha you were doing too, as Kate was talking <laughs> that, uh, there are so many ideas. Like, I want to talk about tactics, you know, at some point. I, I think we're going to have to Kate back on, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Part two. Yeah, exactly. But I want to talk about tactics. I want to talk more about, uh, I, I don't know, Anisha. Like, I, I just have, I think we're going to explore more specifics because this was a very great, like, overview. But I definitely think we're going to have to get in depth on some, some of the stuff we talked about today. You know, like, specific questions and turn it into a, we're going to deep dive on tactics. Or we're going to deep dive on power analysis. Or we're going to, you know, we want to. What does that mean to people, and how has it been applied in, in real life campaigns and real life organizing? Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, totally. And uh, for
0: to answer uh, your question, Kate, that we're uh, this is going to be a pretty um, uh, interactive podcast in the sense that we're asking our supporters, like we want to know uh, what you want to, what you guys want to hear, um, and so like. You know what do you guys want to hear about like what is a question that you guys have that we haven't brought up already um, and we would love for you to send us all of that great stuff
1: yeah it, listeners out there if you have a future episode or guest ideas email us um, if you have you know would a Q&A advice column style towards the end of these pot you know these episodes help uh, do you have someone you really like to hear about or someone who you think is doing amazing work any specific case studies you'd like to see we we need we need creative help we need muses so please and I know Anisha's actually got our contact information
0: I do uh, our podcast we've we've been referencing our email we haven't given it to you so here it is uh, our email address is social arsonist podcast at gmail.com um, and it's spelled just like this podcast is spelled so social social Arsonist A R S O N I S T podcast at gmail.com.
1: And then, uh, Kate, do you have uh, anything you want to any action or, or call to action or anything you want to plug uh, uh, to our listeners or to folks out there? Uh, well, I will
2: first say that I'm super excited for all the upcoming podcasts. <laughs> I think that there's no better way to learn as organizers <laughs> than to look at at what people are trying now and have some conversation on you know what's really working and what can we take away from the work. So. I want to thank you both for for doing this because I think it's um it's going to be an amazing resource for organizers. Yeah. Aw <laughs> shucks. <laughs> um, and then I think Anisha, I'll just echo sort of your closing statement that there are a lot of organizations out there that are doing this work, and so if people are trying to think about how do we how do we get started and how do we move from sort of anger about this current moment to the vision of our community we want to see to. To so just do some thinking about what are the organizations out there in, in your community right now that you might be able to, to join up with. Because I think in this moment, it's important to be around other people who are also thinking ab- about these things. So um, take a look out there and, and see what organizations you might want to join up with.
1: Awesome. Um, and then for a specific call to action in honor of Kate and her 10 years of Planned Parenthood, and also because this is a recent event, um, for those of you who don't know, the Trump administration is conducting a rule change that would undermine the Affordable Care Act's uh, birth control requirements. And uh, Planned Parenthood is obviously kind of on the front line of taking this on. So if you go to PlannedParenthoodAction.org, that's PlannedParenthoodAction.org, uh, you can send a message uh, on your thoughts about that, the change to make a, to, to make birth control less affordable and less accessible to women, because you know that's definitely what we need in, in this world is you know people not being able to afford healthcare uh, or access to to reproductive planning. So you know, great. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. A bunch of white men deciding what I do with my body. I'm so not sorry. okay with it. <laughs> uh,
1: all right. Um, well, thank, I think that's it. Yeah. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh,
0: thank you, Kate, so much. We really loved having you on. And this has been great. And I'm so excited to finally launch this <laughs> podcast. I'm really excited to see if you guys Yay, love it. I'm so excited to listen. Thank All you. Thank you, <laughs> thank you for having me on.
1: All right. Thanks, everybody. And with that, Bye. we'll sign off. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Just a reminder that the views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the participants and are not reflective of the views of their employers or any other institutions with which they may be affiliated. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we hope you join us next time on Social Arsonist, a podcast for organizers old and new.